was based on substituting English words with words borrowed from all over the place. Some were from the drug subculture, from Kant, Yiddish, American Air Force slang, dialect from dock workers and sailors, and the Cockney rhyming slang, which is another underground language that's apparently still used to help East London gangs stay away from police. Hi, welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. Cindy, just curious, did you know any secret languages when you were a kid? Actually, yes, I did. We used to speak Pig Latin, gibberish, and what we called op language, which is where you add the letters O and P to the end of each consonant in a word, but you say the vowels. So, for example, with op language, hello, Julia would be hoppy lop lop o, jop you lop i a. That is long. <laughs> yeah, it's very long. And you would have to say it like real fast, too. It was very hard to say and understand. I'm very rusty. Well, I didn't know that one. <laughs> In pig Latin, you say the word without the first consonant and you put the first consonant at the end of the word with a after it. So, hello, Cindy becomes hello, hey, Indy say. Yep. And then there was gibberish, which put the fake word ithig in the middle of each syllable like this. And I'm also rusty here, but which would be hello, Julia. There's no way I could interpret that. So not the most efficient language. But anyway, I did it with a friend. The op language was with my brother's crazy stuff. But you do get good at it, don't you? You do. Language games like these have been around forever, and they're sometimes called Ludlings, a term that I have never heard before. I never did either. Okay. The rules are simple and repetitious. So if you practice enough to listen and speak them very quickly, maybe we should have practiced before the podcast, you can say a lot to someone else who can do the same while other people, like in those cases, parents, can't understand and process it quickly enough to have any idea what you're saying. And so it is with a lot of secret languages all over the world. Yes, but secret languages aren't just for kids. This is true, Cindy. For thousands of years, people have developed secret languages to confuse authorities, hide information, and even to hide their very existence as a group. Some don't want to share their culture and values, and some can't because it's too dangerous. For example, criminal gangs use them to avoid police or victims knowing what they're talking about. For marginalized groups concerned with secrecy and privacy, secret languages have been crucial to keep them safe and allow them to talk about certain things in public without persecution or discrimination. Just like the examples we gave in the beginning, they're not novel languages. Secret languages are based on a common main language like English, which is twisted, tweaked, and added to in ways that can be really pretty simple, but effective in making it hard for other people to understand. There are apparently a lot of linguistic tricks that can be used. Words can be pronounced backwards. They can be used in ways to mean the opposite of what we think they mean. 
There's actually a lot to play around with to change the language enough to make it hard to figure out what's being said or what's actually meant. Yeah, we don't have a secret language, but our family often makes up words or adds funny prefixes to words and plays around like that. Yeah, a lot of people, families, friends do that. Yeah, it's not a whole secret language, but it's a clue as to how secret languages develop. There's no way to know how many are actually out there because they're secret. True. Secret languages go by a lot of different names. Sometimes they're called cants or cryptolex. In the 1970s, a linguist named Michael Halliday coined the term anti-language because their purpose is to cloud and confuse instead of making communication as clear as possible, which is what we usually assume is the goal of language. Yes, that makes sense. I like that one. Anti-language. And the oldest known secret language is in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the oldest surviving Jewish manuscripts found in caves from the third century in Palestine. Most of them were written in Hebrew or Aramaic, but 1% of them are written in three different anti-languages, which translators named cryptic A, B, and C. Back in that time, Jewish people were a marginalized community, and historians believe they used cryptic A, B, and C to protect their religious beliefs and possibly to hide them to avoid further persecution. Yeah, that makes sense. Thieves can't, or just can't, is not as old as cryptic A, B, and C, but it is a secret language used by thieves and conmen since at least the 16th century. Like most secret languages, it was meant to confuse non-speakers so they could make plans right in the open without worrying about being overheard, because even if someone heard them, they wouldn't understand what they were talking about. And over time, a lot of secret languages get into the mainstream or purposely get exposed by someone. Exposure is one of the things that kills them, of course. If mainstream society becomes aware of the secret, well, then it no longer serves its purpose and people stop using it. But for criminals or persecuted populations, staying hidden is important. So they do adapt and come up with new languages to replace the old ones. Anti-languages are common in prisons all over the world, which makes sense since so much of their daily life is tightly controlled. Having a secret language brings some control, some resistance, and also a way to communicate that authorities can't get to, they're not privy to. Another example of an old anti-language was in a region in the south of China. For hundreds of years, women there were subject to strict sexist Confucian regulations. They had to obey husbands and fathers and were only allowed to work at certain kinds of jobs, usually sewing or needlework and other housework. And during that time, the women developed a language called Nushu, using Chinese characters replaced by secret alternative characters that they embroidered onto clothing. The language wasn't written or spoken. It was sewn. So the women were able to exchange messages without men knowing about it. Once women's rights improved in China, Nushu, thankfully, was no longer needed because that's tedious work. So it's not used anymore. A lot of these languages seem long ago and far away for most of us. That's true, Cindy. You're probably curious, listeners, as to why we're focusing on secret languages in this podcast. Why is this important to us now, you might be wondering, with patience? It's because we learned during some of our research for another podcast that the gay community had a very strong secret language up until the late 1960s. 
This is what started to pique our interest. Exactly. The language was called polari, from the Italian word parlay, which means to speak. And it was used in gay bars in London when homosexuality was illegal. Right. Being gay was criminal. Polari was at first most popular among gay working class men in Britain. Polari was based on substituting English words with words borrowed from all over the place. Some were from the drug subculture, from Kant, Yiddish, American Air Force slang, dialect from dock workers and sailors, and the Cockney rhyming slang, which is another underground language that's apparently still used to help East London gangs stay away from police. Wow. So back then, if you wondered or thought someone might be gay, or maybe you were hoping that they were, what you do is you'd slip a Polari word into a conversation with them. If that person knew Polari, they'd slip one in too, and that's how gay people could identify one another safely. As it grew and morphed into a stronger way of communicating, Polari became part of the culture and shared identity. It helped with a sense of belonging and was spoken by tens of thousands of people. The LGBTQ community used Polari as an outlet for what they had to put up with day in and day out. And it's a satirical language. I mean, it made fun of their marginalization and criminalization of their lifestyle. That became a coping mechanism, the humor in it, for all that they had to deal with and repress. The language included slang ways of referring to police or beatings or arrests and helped members of the LGBTQ community cope with mistreatment and marginalization. The language empowered the community as a group, like secret languages usually do. Just like Nushu, Polari declined when homosexuality was partially decriminalized in the 1960s. Society became a little less narrow-minded and bigoted. The conditions that led to the need for a secret language changed. It was no longer critical to the community and is considered a dead language now. Right, because, I mean, things did change, thankfully. Gay rights became a matter of pride and no longer counted on secrecy for acceptance and survival. And having had a language of resistance has created a certain kind of pride for a lot of the LGBTQ community. It's proof of their strength, resilience, and creativity. And it was hearing about all this that led to our interest and going down the rabbit hole into secret languages. The oldest secret language we found that's still in use right now is spoken by about 3,500 people in southern Mali. It's spoken by a group of people that call themselves the Bangand which means the secret or hidden ones. Other people in the area cannot understand them, and it's believed that they develop their hidden identity because they're from caravans of enslaved people that escaped hundreds of years ago, and their lives depended on hiding among the cliff villages there. That's really interesting. Lately, we've all been introduced to a new kind of secret language, which is a product of the digital age. But it's not to keep other people from knowing what we're talking about. It's to fool the algorithms and computer programs that look for certain words, ideas, and phrases that will put people into Facebook jail or suspend social media accounts. That's true. I hadn't really thought about that before. <laughs> <laughs> but people are always disguising what they're saying in Facebook in order to not get caught in trouble. Most of us have seen the way people take the basic alphabet of the English language, but they substitute letters or other symbols or numbers so that the word looks different, but we all know what it actually is. 
Exactly. They'll purposely misspell words so that the computer doesn't pick up the word, but everyone reading it knows what's being said. And when you don't, you can Google it. In this way, we all get to speak more freely on our devices without the monitors finding out what we're communicating because we are being monitored. Uh-huh. So anti-languages aren't just to help keep outsiders out. They strengthen bonds among insiders and can be a form of resistance. It's an interesting way to look at our shared struggle against AI and those who control it right now. It is. Obviously, secret languages, or at least word use, is all around us and is still being used to convey messages that we don't want the authority to know about. If you want to learn a little more about Polari, the secret language used by gay people hoping to identify one another, check out this brief article at babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash E-N backslash magazine backslash Polaris dash etymology spelled P-O-L-A-R-I-S dash etymology. Hidden languages are very interesting and they're still useful to this day. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Until next time, take care.